0: If you could see London's toxic air, you'd want to do something about it. Air pollution from road transport leads to premature deaths and hits the poorest Londoners hardest. That's why the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, introduced the ultra-low emission zone. But air pollution is not reducing as fast in outer London as it is in central London. Help make London greener and healthier and switch car journeys for walking, cycling or using public transport. London Stansted Airport is looking for people just like you to fill exciting opportunities at your local airport. Join the team in a whole range of roles, including chefs, kitchen assistants, waiting staff and more. You'll get great rates of pay, full training and fantastic career development. Plus a good pension scheme and access to loads of rewards and benefits, which include free meals, parking and discount shopping. What are you waiting for? Be part of your local airport. Apply today at workwithmag.net. Today on the podcast I speak to Rena Sigau. Rena is from Bend, Oregon, and attended Portland State University, earning her Bachelor of Science in General Science. After graduating, Rena moved to San Diego, California. She graduated from Thomas Jefferson School of Law, focusing on intellectual property and entertainment law. After working for some highly reputable companies, where she worked alongside, networked and engaged with industry leaders, she decided to start her solo practice, Law Offices of Rena Segal, in 2016. Since then, she has worked with numerous independent filmmakers, artists and producers on international and domestic films. Rena is a member of California Bar Association, California Lawyers for the Arts and California Young Lawyers Association. She was selected to the Super Lawyers Rising Stars for 2019, 2020, 2021, and guess what, 2022. Rising Stars is an exclusive list of top-rated attorneys. Rena's vision has always been to make legal services affordable and easily accessible. Aside from working, she enjoys traveling, cooking, and run in five times a day. I started the podcast by asking Rena, did she always plan to become a lawyer?
1: No, it was not. Um, to be 100% honest, I was planning on being a doctor. And um, so I got my undergrad degree in uh, in my Bachelor of Science, uh, Organismal Biology. And then I did a year of med school before I realized that I did not have the fortitude to be a doctor (laughs) so I wanted to find a way to help people and um, I looked at inspiration from a number of people um, in my family who are lawyers and I said okay I'm gonna go to law school that's what stemmed it
0: but as far as I can see being a lawyer is no walk in the park like you said you didn't have the fortitude to be in med school and maybe practice medicine in a certain way. So the choice for being a lawyer is not an easy one. I know you had family involved in the industry, particularly did your parents influence you and are they people that helped you move forward in law?
1: Yes, they are. Um, So my father has worked for the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs for 40 years. He helped facilitate um, the passing of a lot of laws um, for environmental law on Native American land, Um, protection of water, soil, rivers, uh, all of that, much of which has been adopted by the federal government. Um, He created that. He himself is not a lawyer. He's a chemical engineer. But he uh, had worked very hard with some great attorneys that worked for the tribe, and they developed uh, a lot of that that kind of motivated me to go into law. I didn't know what I wanted to do in law in particular, but uh, I got to see that he made changes that really impacted the environment and saved people's lives ultimately uh, for water quality in particular. Um, And since my passion in life really was, I wanna help people, uh, law, ended up being the route I wanted to take it is not an easy path you have to learn a lot about a lot of different areas along even if you are not interested in them
0: (laughs) what parts in particular are not easy
1: so uh, predominantly like they teach you it's a Socratic method of teaching so it's a new type of learning uh in undergrad they don't usually go down that route uh you're Uh, you're kind of given a book and you easily can just memorize it and do it. But in Socratic method, because the law is a very gray area uh, and you can argue it both ways, they teach you those skills uh, in the beginning. Like you start from day one, you're, you either have those skills or you're capable of adapting and learning those skills very quickly, or you get kicked out if you're in the bottom 30%. They don't, let, they don't let you stay in school.
0: That's a lot of pressure. I'm guessing if your parents or whoever may be has paid for you to go into a school and you have to come home and say, well...
1: I failed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's going to be a, a bit of pressure. So personally, what did your parents teach you in life that you feel you can use in your role as a lawyer and what I mean by teaching I mean just like they would have taught you if you were a dentist or a model or a fireman or whatever
1: so the morals that I would really say my mother and father were very um, very much motivated me and taught me from a young age that you really need to care about other people you need to care about what you're doing. Anything that you do, you do it with purpose and you put your hundred percent into it. Um, because especially when you're trying to help someone else or you're working for another company, doesn't even matter if you're a lawyer, you really want to put your best foot forward. And, um, because somebody is benefiting from what you're doing and they're, you know, they, they need the help. Otherwise you wouldn't be working for them. (laughs) So, you know, so, um, that was really what uh, my parents taught me on anything that you do any action that you do you treat people with respect and you treat um, the work that you're doing as if it is the most important thing in your life
0: that's very good very very good indeed actually and your first job before you got into law because I'm guessing you have to have a a normal job you know Mm -hmm. whatever what was that and how did that help
1: um, so my very first job was working at a theater at a Regal Cinemas in Bend, Oregon, and um, I worked there for I think two and a half years, um, and uh, it it taught me to have patience with people, and I think that was the most imperative thing is that somebody's always going to have a complaint, mm. and you can um, you can get angry, but don't keep it cool all the time so and to be patient with anybody and everybody because your their concerns are their concerns they might not be on your top priority list but you have to respect the fact that they're hurting at that point
0: so what type of issues would happen at work would someone and what exactly was your role did you serve did you serve popcorn or
1: it, well i did ticket sales um concession stuff yes i sold yes. popcorn Um, We had a full bar um, and cafe, so I would make coffee. Um, And then I would also clean the theatre rooms, you know, so we did a lot of that. Um, We kind of, they shifted us around uh, depending on where they needed us.
0: So you'd be in a situation where you might have to hoover up popcorn and things on the floor, am I right? Yep. Yep. So you really had a, a kind of grounded... Not to say being lawyer is not grounded, but that's the wrong type of word. You really had a job where you had to put a different type of work in where I imagine from my experience in hospitality and retail, the pay isn't the best either.
1: I was getting paid $7 an hour at the time. I mean, it, I it was horrible. Well, the pay was horrendous, but I did learn a lot. And um, I think it's imperative for like everybody uh, and every child to get a job um at that point as a young age and learn that uh, even if it feels like it's menial work it's somebody has to do it at the end of the day and so learning that will give you more respect um for people in those positions when you're older and um and understand uh, that those basics that you learn in like a job at a theater or at a bar or at doing retail really just shows you that you know there's a lot of work involved in making having success in any capacity um and so starting at an early age that job was when I was 15 years old 16 years old so um you know it's it's good it's good to have
0: that is a really young age that is good 15 is, is is a young age I think I had my first proper job i was 18 i would say so i left it a bit a bit long but i think i'd like to think it worked out somewhat in the end can you yeah. tell us a, your first day at work as a lawyer your very first day what was that like
1: it was intense um my uh, my first day at work as a lawyer my boss gave me a stack <laughs> of bills and said um you know just do this and i was i had no idea what I was doing. Um, I didn't know what the caseload was about. Uh, I had to read through the files, read through the emails and uh, hit the ground running. That was really her motivation with me. And she's like, just do it, do your best. Ask me if you have any questions. Um, And I was scared. And I think I spent uh, a good two hours on the phone with one of my professors who I became a really good friend with. And and she kind of guided me to finish the caseload that i had in front of me
0: <laughs> did you ever get to say to your very first boss like in the future as you get more experience or you move on why did you do that
1: i did and it's a lesson that i actually use um, for my interns the ones I, uh, my law student interns that uh it, it, she says she did it because she goes it forces you into a situation to learn uh, quicker, quickly and to think on your feet, which a lot of times happens in trial, that you have to think on your feet or you have a client on the phone, a brand new client, and you need to, to be able to pull the law right out of your mouth and simplify it for them. So by by forcing me to have to actually implement the thing I went to school for, um is she? She was. She was like testing my knowledge for one, um, and for two, uh, she wanted me to feel the pressure that you do feel, um, the bigger and bigger your caseloads get.
0: Oh, so there was a method to her madness at the time. Yes, there is. Uh,
1: I, I do the same thing with my law students now. I, um, if I need a copyright application filed, I just give them the copyright uh, information and I say go file this. If they don't know how to do it, it forces them to have to learn how to do it.
0: Good thinking in the end, and it's valuable because you can use it now for your own company, so which is really good. And do you have situations with clients that young lawyers can learn from? Can you tell us any time you've had a bad situation with one?
1: Um, I've had some horrible clients who uh, constantly want to uh, communicate with you. I know one of the things I think that's a big lesson that all lawyers need to learn is that somebody's problems are huge to them. So they're going to want to constantly communicate with a representative that they've hired. So their lawyer, they want the solution. They want their results and they want it immediately. So, um, you know, like, as I had previously mentioned, patience is a good lesson to learn with anybody, um, because their problems are their problems. And, um, So I also believe very firmly that every lawyer needs to limit their times. They need to be able to have their own personal life and to to exist as a human being, spend time with their family and have relationships. So uh, when you say you're open 9 to 5, you stay open from 9 to 5. If you are just starting out your own law firm it's very tempting for you to allow a client to have access to you 24 hours a day because you want to maintain their business but it sets a precedent with that client and it's very difficult to change later on
0: i completely understand what you mean so when you're in a situation when you have to say hey i know i started out speaking to you at 8 in the evening 9 in the evening 6 in the morning we're going to have to draw back from that and you're going to have to be a nine to five client how does the client respond in that situation
1: usually they're very frustrated um you know and that's why it's imperative to start it start every relationship with your clients in the beginning um, with setting limitations and um you know that that's the biggest issue i had when i started my law firm was that i allowed my clients to have access to me uh 24 hours a day but that was detrimental to a lot of the relationships I had personally
0: oh, I'm sorry to hear that but I do like your thinking because even though what I do is very different and previously I was a freelance um video editor video producer and people would think at eight in the evening that I would just jump on my laptop and start doing a bit of editing for them and it was it's just not the case um that my life can be like that
1: you've got to be able to have your own personal life you know go on a date once in a while <laughs> exactly
0: exactly so where do you like to go where are you happiest when you're away from your desk and you're not practicing law
1: when I'm not practicing law um I do a lot of different things and uh, my happiest place is definitely uh, watching movies with my friends so um, like, I go watch an action movie uh, with friends probably every weekend on a Saturday.
0: Oh gosh, wow.
1: Yeah, it, it just makes me happy, that or comedy. Um, so, um, I, you know, that's the happiest I usually am, just when I are able to spend some good times. Otherwise it's in Bend, Oregon, going and visiting my family. Do
0: so your family have a history in law? You obviously do. Are your friends in the legal industry also?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, a lot of my friends, um, are, you know, they've been longtime friends, uh, even through law school, those ones that I met, everyone practices a little bit of law still. Uh, like the head of CAA um, legal here in uh, Los Angeles is Pranit ayaal He's a good friend of mine.
0: Okay,
1: uh, we, we went to law school together and um, yeah, he just usually yells at me on the phone nowadays. But <laughs> <laughs> Why would he yell at you? Oh, because whenever I call, it's usually because I need an actor to sign a oh, deal. And yeah. So um, he, uh, he's always, he doesn't answer the phone hello anymore. He just goes, what do you need, Rena?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> he gets the deal.
1: Yeah. But yeah, when you work in the industry um, as a lawyer, you end up being really good friends with other counsel, even if they're opposing counsel uh, in a deal. The reason being is that we try to be civil with one another and we understand we're just here to do a job and um, and help our clients out so we try to make it as simple as possible and get the solution that we is mutually acceptable either
0: side do things ever go the other way where frustrations start to happen and things may boil into certain arguments especially if you have friends in the legal industry and unfortunately you're up against a friend how is that gonna usually work out
1: mostly it doesn't boil into like extreme frustrations we do get a little bit frustrated with one another um but again one of the things that the ethics that you learn in law school is that even everybody has to have a representative so you know that you leave your frustration at with as soon as you you get off the phone and you like a lot of times for instance um, I've had a fight with a colleague who is a friend uh, over material terms in a in, you know, deal points in a contract. And then we take five minutes, we call each other again and we say, hey, now that we're done with that contract, can we just be normal again? And we move past it. There are other attorneys out there that um, you know, they are not civil with one another uh, they've had bad experiences, or they just do not like each other. Uh, they become very difficult situations in which to resolve the, the matter that's at hand. Uh, and, and sometimes you'll see an attorney recuse himself from it. They will just leave and be like, I can't deal with this attorney. Here's a substitution attorney. Um, and then hopefully get the, the resolution that they need for their clients.
0: It, by the time someone says they can't deal with your attorney, that must make the other attorney look really bad.
1: Yes, it usually does. Um, and they, uh, you know, some, some people just can't interact with one another and they can't do it in a nice, calm way. And some people don't ha- handle aggression mm. uh, really well either. So you have to find like the appropriate uh, substitute attorney who can handle that character. Um, and how you know, they typically deal with situations. There's so many attorneys who become very aggressive after a while, uh, especially if they have been in the industry for 30, 40 years, they start to feel frustrated in their own situation. And, um, and, they, and they, they also work in a little more old school method. Whereas uh-huh. a lot of the younger attorneys, um, in my experience, the, the younger attorneys tend to be really calm and very clear with their choices and words on how they move forward in any matter.
0: That's interesting. So there's a kind of, it's similar again, in some ways um, with my own situation. So some older directors might shout and scream and throw their weight around where younger directors, some uh, 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 don't behave like that. They just, they have a different approach. So do you think it's ageism and there is there also elements of sexism that may play a part in these decisions
1: i i do think it's a little bit of both um you know i i believe that attorneys who have had 30 to 40 years of experience they feel like they know everything and it's even though times are changing and the rules are changing the laws are changing and adapting they they feel like they have um wait to throw around, as you mentioned, and they they do that. Um, Sexism is a big part too. Uh, whether, you know, a lot of people look at male attorneys as having more dominance and and feeling more presence in a courtroom or in uh, a negotiation of any matter. And that's not necessarily the case. A lot of times women, they use different tactics, but we we get the job done usually much better and we say the first time women do it men it takes about 10 so
0: (laughs) (laughs) and growing up with the morals that your parents instilled in you which has obviously helped you in your career especially by what you just said what was growing up like as a whole for you in the home and with your family and brothers and sisters because you still go back and see them when you're not at the cinema on Saturdays
1: yeah (laughs) um Growing up was wonderful. I had a lovely life. My parents um, really spoiled me.
0: Nice.
1: Um, you know, they uh, they took care of me. I always came first. Um, played a lot of sports, music, and um, and uh, had a, had a really great childhood. Uh, I had one brother. Um, his name was Rishi, but he passed away at the age of thirty six. Oh, so sorry to hear that. Yeah, but um, he uh, he and I were really close. Uh, He used to rip the heads off my Barbie dolls and (laughs) hang them above my bed. Wow!
0: (laughs) Now that's a horror film. that sounds
1: Uh, pretty uh... much. But but we grew up um, and uh, started absolutely spending a lot of time together. And um, you know, we my my childhood was wonderful. Um, Our family is very close. We're a traditional Indian family. So our extended family is huge. My mom has seven brothers and sisters. Wow. Uh, each one of them has um, two to three children. So I have a lot of first cousins. And um, my dad grew up in Northern Ireland, but uh, he's got a, a big Glenn Gormany um, and he's got one brother and he, uh, his brother has two children as well, two boys.
0: So family get togethers must be amazing. Is there actually, is there even room to have a family get together?
1: Oh, yeah. We get together every Thanksgiving and it is the biggest cookout that you can ever imagine. Like every, every wife, um, all my mom's sisters have to make food. My mom makes food. I make food and the men sit there and eat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Some lucky men. That's for sure. Some very lucky men. Any standout moments when you were playing sports when you was a young kid?
1: um i used i used to play soccer football internationally um you know uh, i did uh it was a right forward um and uh my standout moments is i i I, one time i guess the most interesting moment i would say is one time when i was playing i tripped and fell on my face and everyone laughed (laughs) (laughs)
0: happens (laughs) to the best of us
1: yep so that but other than that no i didn't really have any like exciting awards or anything for it i just i think it is really good to be a well-rounded human being and um play sport it's good for your body
0: <laughs> oh it is it is it is indeed if you couldn't be a lawyer anymore what do you think you would be
1: um i would still be an entrepreneur so um you know i do a lot of businesses and um uh, i would find another way to protect people
0: is there a way or is there anything you're working on at the moment that you might be able to tell us about?
1: Yeah, so I have recently launched a company um, called Safety Net Technology uh, and Foundation. It uh, serves as a nonprofit as well. Uh, we created a, a specialty stir stick. Um, it's got this um, special polymer inside of a stir stick that you stick into a drink. It's typically clear, um, but it will turn blue on a presence of a designer drug. Um, specifically like uh, fentanyl, GHB, uh, uh, any other kind of designer drugs, sorry, I'm trying to, bl- I'm blanking right now, okay. um, but the, uh, the, the stir stick itself will prevent um, or, or re- significantly reduce sexual assault and um, trafficking uh, worldwide. We just launched, and it can be, you can see more about it in detail at uh, experiencesafetynet.com. And, uh, but it is, uh, we worked with Johns Hopkins University, uh, specialty doctors in developing this unique polymer that will uh, be, be fully launched worldwide by the end of the year
0: excellent and I'll definitely be putting information about that in the show notes I think it's incredibly important and fantastic what you've done and more people should check it out because it's completely needed completely
1: thank you um and yes so that that's been my baby right now um and uh two years in the making so I'm excited
0: congrats and lastly if a young woman come up to you today and said I want to get into the industry what would you say to her don't do it (laughs) (laughs) Run.
1: <laughs> run. Run away from law. No. Um, I would say you really need to have a passion um for helping people and and find a particular field that you're interested in. Cause you have to specialize in one field. A general practitioner, a legal person, they just don't exist and they never do a really good job. So you really need to find a field that you're you're passionate about in law and focus on them.
0: Well, Rena, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. The first ever episode. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I know your schedule is jam-packed, so I appreciate it, and and we'll definitely speak soon.
1: Yes, sounds great. Thank you, Damien. I really appreciate your time as well.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Please do hit the subscribe button, leave a comment, share it with friends, or give us a five-star rating. We'd really appreciate it. And join us next week for another fabulous guest.